Well, hey, Rocky Peak, it's great to be with you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your very first time, uh, again, just want to welcome you wherever you're joining us from, whether it's locally, across the states, or around the world. And today's a very special day for our church. Um, it's kind of a very special weekend. Uh, if you are here, um, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know this, that we were uh, scheduled to kick off a brand new series today uh, on spiritual warfare. Still very excited about that. That'll be coming. But uh, honestly, it was about Monday, Monday evening, where I just really thought the Lord began to speak to me that we needed to uh, postpone that and we needed to uh, really dive into this important topic that uh, Dre talked about at the top of the service of Jesus, uh, kind of racism, uh, the gospel, the kingdom of reconciliation. And so I'm really looking forward to having, uh, uh, starting a conversation today on this very important topic. Obviously, uh, a very important time in our culture right now as we're sort of a culture in crisis. And so what we're going to be doing is uh, Dre and I are going to be kicking off this series, uh, kind of a short series today, uh, with an initial conversation. You know, we're two of your, your uh, kind of your, your teaching pastors, and we want to share a little bit of our journey with this important topic. We want to uh, lay some biblical foundations for the discussion. Uh, and then we want to talk about where do we go from here? What are some first practical steps that we can take uh, as we kind of uh, try to build this kingdom of reconciliation uh, here at Rocky Peak and to be salt and light uh, out in the world. Now, uh, obviously, this is a highly controversial topic. It seems like in our culture right now, it's very hard to say one thing without being assuming that you're saying something else. And that's true in the church as well. Uh, so for example, if we say that, hey, as followers of Jesus, uh, we are for racial reconciliation, we're for racial justice, uh, that's a very important thing to say. But it's not the only thing that we want to say, right? But as followers of Jesus, we need to, be able to say, hey, and we are not for violence. Like, what's going on in our culture? That is not okay. And like a third thing that we need to say is that as followers of Jesus, we are supporters of our government, our supporters of our police force. You know, here at Rocky Peak, we have just so blessed over the years with an amazing group of men and women uh, who love Jesus, love the word, uh, love the world, and they really want to be a force for good, that they want to be salt and light. Uh, they want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, and we're so blessed to have them. And yet we live in a culture that when you say one thing, it's often, often assumed that you're, you're not saying another. Uh, let me give you just a quick example. Uh, this week on Tuesday night, we posted a post to our Instagram account. We chose to post uh, a verse, one of my favorite verses from Malachi chapter 6 and verse 8, where the prophet of Israel, kind of calling Israel to repentance for a lack of justice in their culture, he says, what, what, is, what has God required of you, oh man, uh, but you, that you act justly, that you, uh, that you uh, walk in mercy, you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. And so we wanted to put that message out there. We chose to put it on a black background. Uh, very, not, not at all because we were uh, uh, supporting, uh, like say, the organization Black Lives Matter. Um, there's a lot of things as followers of Jesus we don't support with that. But just as a, a way to show our unity, show our support of the black community in a time of great pain. And so really that was our intention just to say, we love you, we see you, we support you. 
And then at the same time to say, but we want to pursue this in a way that honors God, that walks, uh, that pursues justice, that loves mercy and walks humbly. But uh, of course, that was uh, misunderstood. You may be uh, one of those people that, that saw in that something that w- wasn't there. And if, if that was, well, if you were one of those people, we just want you to know, especially if you're in law enforcement, we, we love you, we treasure you. Uh, you're some of just some, the most amazing people at Rocky Peak. And so if that was uh, misunderstood, uh, we want to just clear, clear that up and really apologize for any hurt because we, we want to be saying not one thing, but all three things during this time. And so this week, uh, as we talked about, uh, you know, how best to present this material, how best to approach it, as we talked as a team, as Dre and I talked, we felt like really the best way to approach this was with more of a conversation than the one-way teaching model we normally use. You know, Jesus did some of his best teaching as a result of conversation, and we just felt like this was the best way to engage. And so we want to do that uh, today. Today will be Dre and I kicking this off. Next week, I've invited about four or five of my uh, good client, close friends here at Rocky Peak who are Afri- uh, African-American to join us just so we hear their story. What's it like to be a follower of Jesus uh, in, uh, in our culture today in the church at Rocky Peak as we listen and learn for from one another. So here's my challenge. My challenge as we kick off our service today is, you know, in the book of James, it says in chapter one that as followers of Jesus, we should be quick to hear, quick to listen. We should be slow to speak and slow to become angry because the anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. And so it's a controversial topic, we understand that, but we believe it's such an important topic. If we're gonna grow as a church, if we're gonna create the kingdom of reconciliation, if we're gonna seek first the kingdom of righteousness, which in the Greek is the same word for justice, uh, then we need to be having these conversations. We need to learn how to have them. And so we just want to launch and start that process today. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to invite Dre out in just a minute, but I want to lead us in prayer. And so wherever you're at, you're sitting on a bed, you're at a kitchen table, you're on your patio in the backyard, you're in your living room with a big, uh, the large screen TV, wherever you are, would you join us in prayer for our church at this point? So Jesus, we come now in your name, Lord, and you've told us to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek first your righteousness, your dikasune, your justice. And God, we want to listen and follow as a church, and we're the first to admit, God, these are hard conversations. It's a difficult time in our culture, and we want nothing else but to come under your leadership as one church, one body, in one spirit, and seek you for direction on how to build this kingdom and how to be salt and light in the midst of a very dark world that so desperately needs peace and unity and restoration right now. So we pray that you would be with us by the power of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Men. So I'm going to invite Dre out, and we're going to jump out and jump in. So Dre, why don't you come out and join, join me, brother? It's good to have you here. And I know you're clapping at home, so I'll clap along with you. <laughs> Thank so, you, Michael. Uh, so have a seat. Always nice to be in a comfortable chair. Yeah. So Dre, uh, this is a topic, uh, this mm-hmm. topic of 
uh, racism, Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom. Mm -hmm. This is a discussion that you have, I have had for several years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, think of it, I think it was back at the conference uh, uh, back in North Carolina yeah. when you were sharing some of your journey with me and I was mm -hmm. actually blown away and it just began kind of a new level of, of I think a deeper and richer friendship mm. uh, between us. Um, I think it'd be helpful today as we kick off this series just to, to hear a little bit of your journey as mm -hmm. a Latino man. Uh, very different than my life as a, a, as a white man. Mm. And I, I would just love to hear a little bit of what your, your journey has been like. I appreciate that. And, you know, something that Michael and I talked about even before we jump in is that, you know, I have the opportunity that I get to share some of my realities as a person of color, but I can empathize and I can connect in a unique way with what's been going on with this pain and this unrest. But really, the specific cultural pain, the, what's been going on in our communities the last several weeks has been very specific to our black family and our black community. And so what happened with the unfortunate passing of George Floyd is that he is one now of many lives that were taken far too soon, many precious lives. And this has also brought up more tensions of decades of other injustices that have happened specifically to the black community. And so I'm really excited for what you said mm -hmm. that next week I get to get out of the way, so to speak, and we get to be up here with our family, mm -hmm. our black voices to hear them. Because as we go into this evening, one thing that needs to be really important and needs to be held as truth is that for some of us, Rocky Peak, racism and racial injustice is history. It's something that we studied about in school. But for others of our family here in these walls, as well as in our local community, it's not history, it's happening. Now, if you're in the group that it's history, that doesn't make you a bad person or a racist automatically, but it's part of listening as we talk about. And one thing I was sharing with Michael is that I think of it as Yelp, and that may sound kind of funny, but I think of it if you've ever read an awful review, a Yelp review of a restaurant that you adore, that if you read that, it's so easy to just brush that off and go, well, that's not my experience. And there's many areas of life in which I do that. That's my attitude. Well, that's not my experience. But we want to be here, as James tells us to, to be quick to listen. Because again, even though that I can empathize in a certain way, my voice is not meant to replace the voice of the black community. But as you ask about my journey, you know, I'm the proud son of two immigrants that fled a war. You could use the word refugees to them, which some view positively and some view negatively. Mm -hmm. But they fled their home country of El Salvador to come to the States for me and my family to be able to have a better life. And when it comes to my experience with race and specifically racial injustice, I feel like my life is the story of two different worlds. See, as I got older in junior high, high school and college, I grew up in the Mission Hills area of the San Fernando Valley. And I grew up in a population of a lot of Spanish people, people that looked and sounded like me and my family. And through series of events or hardships, I remember in junior high, high school, later, we were moving out, moving away from that community. And I found myself in predominantly white environments. Junior high, high school, that was when I started coming to Rocky Peak back in 1997. And what was interesting was going from an area or an environment in which things that were normal to me, speaking Spanish, uh, my parents having an accent, the fact that both my parents were working class and we didn't really take a lot of vacations, was strange to mm. other people. Mm. Now, strange isn't bad in and of itself. It was just a new experience, and it's a beautiful part of crossing cultures. And there were many people in these environments, Rocky Peak included, that accepted me the way I am. 
But it's also heartbreaking that as I was thinking through my life and my experience till to this day, there were many people that that was what they chose to weaponize against me was my race. That there were many times when people, would go, when people would attack me and bully me because, hey, you see what's going on in the news? And often I would hear the phrase, you people. Mm. You people need to get your act together. You people need to stop marching or bringing up things. It's nothing else. It's your problem. Why? It's you people that have broken families down. It's you people that have done this. It's you people that have landed yourselves in prison. And I would hear these things with fake accents. I would hear people laugh and mock me and say, you're never going to rise past the level of the gardeners on campus or anything here. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. And often it would be weaponized as we go in. And it was the first time in my life I found myself ashamed of who God made me to be. And I tried to deal with it by making it a big joke. Hey, I'm the outspoken Latino guy and kind of make it a joke because then you wouldn't see that I was hurting. But as I got older, the Lord began to take me back to, I mentioned a tale of two worlds, elementary school. And there was something unique. So I mentioned I grew up in the Mission Hills area and I went to a school called Lassen Elementary, Go Lassen Lions. And that really shaped from my young life what was supposed to be normal. And I've come to see a biblical normal that I don't know what it was about Lassen Elementary School in North Hills at that time, but it had a very unique racial mix where I think about it that there were a lot of Spanish kids like me. But there was, a, there was rarely a nationality that wasn't represented well. As I think through my white friends, my black friends, my Filipino friends, the Middle Eastern friends, even the teaching staff. My third grade teacher was this beautiful white woman named Mrs. Sanders. My fourth grade teacher was this proud black woman named Mrs. La Bowman. My kindergarten teacher was this amazing Mexican woman named Mr. Ruiz. There was this awesome teacher. He was in fifth grade, but I didn't have him. He was uh, this white dude named Mr. Donnie who looked like Bob Ross, the painter. <laughs> And I remember as I think through this, as we're gonna talk, the vision of Jesus, that here we were, and we were all uniquely different, but we were together, and that was normal. Mm. And so when I think that my life is this tale of two worlds, my call and our call as a church is often, how do we take those two separate worlds and bring them together in mm. one? Mm-hmm. And Michael, the, you've been, as you've mentioned, you've been on a journey as well. Yeah, as we've been yeah. Going you know, this. My, my story is, you know, super different than, than Dre's. Uh, I, you know, obviously white, if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> and uh, I, I grew up in North San Diego County, uh, which was fairly rural at the time. And uh, racism just wasn't a part of my world. It wasn't part of my house. Um, I didn't recognize it, at least in my school. Uh, and so it just wasn't really something I thought about mm. a lot. And uh, when uh, you, know, you grow up, go to college or whatever, you see the country changing, you see doors of opportunity open up, you see the country becoming much more diverse. Um, and, uh, and when you see uh, like President Obama becoming president in 2008, it just feels like, hey, we're making a lot of progress here. And I, and I think we, we have, personally, that's my personal uh, opinion. Um, but uh, it was really... Uh, the Holy Spirit, the Lord just began leading me on this really cool journey. Um, and I think, you know, it's often like this. Often you don't realize what the Lord's doing mm. until you look back in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And, uh, but he started, Lynn and I, on a journey, especially me on a journey, um, back in about 2013. So seven or eight years ago. And Lynn and I joined um, a life group here at Rocky Peak. That was the most diverse group we had ever been up to that point. 
Um, and we had people from Indonesia and people from Colombia, but we also had two couples that were African-American, um, and we had one couple that was a mixed black-white couple, and uh, husband was black, wife was white, um, and we, we became very close. And, uh, and so in that context, uh, when issues would come up in culture, um, there would be some sort of shooting or something like this week, like, but often that would lead to honest conversations. Um, and it was my first kind of more in-depth relationship with, with, uh, like with black people. I just hadn't, that just hadn't been part of my life. And it was just such a beautiful thing. And what was so shocking to me um, was the stories that they would tell me because I'm thinking, hey, it's 2013, you know, it's like we've come so far, we've had a, we got a black president. Um, and, um, but as they would share that, like when they're, they, and these, these are like super gifted, grounded, um, bright, um, articulate people, right? And, and as they would share that, like when their sons would come of age, they're ready to, to, to go into, uh, to start driving, how they'd have to sit down and have this very honest, deep conversation with them about, hey, if you're ever pulled over by an officer, you know, both hands on the wheel, look ahead, never make eye contact, no sudden movements. And um, I, I remember one of the men telling me that his wife drives a BMW, but he said he will never drive his wife's BMW because for him as a black man to drive that BMW is just uh, inviting too much trouble that he'll get pulled over, he'll get stopped, and so he just won't do it. And I honestly was just shocked. Uh, at the same time, um, during those same years, I was building relationships with several uh, African-Americans here at Rocky Peak that after I'd speak on the topic of racism or something like that, that they would reach out and start a relationship and we became friends. Um, and it was just, again, more of the same, more eye-opening uh, kind of uh, insight. And then, um, and, then, and then that led to, I remember one night we were out to dinner with this younger couple that kind of sees us as spiritual parents. She's white, he's black. They were different, a different couple. We get together several times a year for, for, uh, for dinner. And uh, they mentioned a book that had been uh, very influential in his life. And so um, I, we, we got that book, read that book, and that started me on a journey. So about the last two and a half years, I think I've read like eight or nine major books um, on kind of race subjects, especially uh, of, of uh, black, black inner city, you know, different things like that. Um, and, and it's not so much that I agree with everything, but it's just been so eye-opening, right? And so... Uh, I've been sensing for a long time the Lord has me on a journey. And if you've been here at Rocky Peak, you've probably sensed that from time to time. Uh, the topic of racism will come up and just be included, but have never really felt led to address it in any major way. Uh, as you know me, I'm so listen and follow. You know, it's like God's got the right vision, but it's, it's not just the right what, but it's the right when. And uh, even this week, I just sensed that, oh my goodness, you know, it's like six or seven years, I feel like God has been preparing me, not just for me, but for our church to have some more conversation uh, on this important topic. And so it's been an amazing journey, very different from yours, but mm. one very much since like inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm. But, uh, but let me switch gears here. Mm -hmm. uh, that one of the things that I wanna do today is not just talk about our experience, but to ground our conversation in the word of God. Mm. As followers of Jesus, uh, we, we listen and follow. It's what we do. The word is our ultimate authority. And so whenever we talk about any topic, our first question is like, what does the word say on that topic? And what's interesting is the word doesn't address racism mm -hmm. just like it doesn't say the Trinity, you mm -hmm. know? It doesn't talk about the deity, you know, well, it might say deity, but it won't say a Trinity, for example. 
Um, and so, but it does talk about this dynamic because it's part of human <laughs> culture. Um, and so, um, I know it's such a big topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could go on for hours talking about this. But as you and I have talked, a couple things that have often come up in our discussions is this, uh, this relationship with Jesus to racism in mm-hmm. terms of launching his kingdom and, and the obstacles they had to overcome in terms of racism to launch the new kingdom mm-hmm. uh, in the early church. So why don't you just share with us you know, some of the things that, that God's taught you over the years in that area? Yeah, and I think a big thing comes to even what we've titled kind of these conversations over the next two weeks is the word reconciliation, but specifically the kingdom of reconciliation. And I think often when we use that word, we often have far too small of a view of what reconciliation is compared to what Jesus wants. And so if you open up scripture, Jesus began his ministry in the gospels by proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. It was the message that John the Baptist had proclaimed before him. He was letting him know that God's uh, kingdom was inbreaking into our world. And when you see how he taught, how he modeled, who he served, who he loved, through that to show us what the kingdom was all about, what we see is that it's not an add-on, but reconciliation is the foundation. Mm-hmm. It is the heartbeat of the mm-hmm. kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've shared many times from the stage that one of my favorite definitions I've come across for the kingdom of God is that wherever Jesus has healed and restored what sin and death had once destroyed. Amen. And so if you think about that, and there in your note sheet, I've got a couple of fill-ins for you. Reconciliation, the first fill-in, is what we have received. And so the kingdom of reconciliation, the kingdom of Jesus, is to reconcile all the division that we've experienced in our lives. And especially, first and foremost, our spiritual division. And so the work of Jesus, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, what that was meant to do was reconcile us who because of our sin, we had been separated from God the Father and the kingdom of heaven which which he represents. But the work of the kingdom does not stop there. We have received reconciliation, but it also transforms us so that we now become like Jesus, meaning reconcilers. And there in your note sheet is a second fill in. Reconciliation is now our identity. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus, what this means is you are not only a part and a representative of the kingdom, but you are now unleashed, as imperfect as we are, to be a reconciler towards all injustice. And so one thing that's really important when you look at the Gospels and you look at Acts in the New Testament is that this is inseparable to our identity of being Christ followers. To be a Christ follower means that we will be reconcilers towards injustice. Now, there's a lot of injustice. And so in a sense, how do we pick and choose? Well, I think if you go to the words in the book of Esther in the Old Testament that she was chosen for a time such as this, and often the Lord will use, even though he's grieved by pain and justice and crisis, but he will use it to focus his church. And right now, that's why we're talking about this issue of racism, specifically to our wonderful black community. And one thing that's really important for us to understand 
is that Michael is absolutely right. The Bible doesn't use the word racism, and there are some that would say because of that, it's not a priority in the Bible. But again, for us at Rocky Peak, this is why it's so important to learn to see the Bible in context. Because while the Bible is for us, it is relevant, it is the voice of our king to us, we weren't its original audience. And so in 10 years from now, if somebody's listening to a sermon of me from another state, and I mention Cochrane Street without any context, they're not gonna fully understand what I mean by that unless they dig. And so what I mean by that is if we look especially at the ministry of Jesus and the early church, one of the very first chasms and divides that they had to deal with, one of the very first injustices that they had to deal with to become the movement of Jesus was racism was racial injustice because of the people that God called to be part of his kingdom. Last week when I was teaching about how God is in control, I mentioned briefly how you look at the makeup of the disciples, that while they were all Jewish men, they culturally and politically were very far away from one another, particularly the tax collector and the zealot who wanted to murder and blow up the government. But then when you go to the book of Acts and you look at the makeup of the early church, before we even get to the Gentiles, what we have is we have Jerusalem Jews, Jewish believers, and we have what's called Hellenistic Jews who are believers in Jesus, but the Hellenistic in their name means that they're more Greek and cultural. And there were some significant racial divides and injustice and straight racism in those groups for many, many years. And now Jesus had called them to be the church, not to stop being who they were culturally, but to learn to look at something bigger. And then from there, we move on to the Samaritans, which there were many racial tensions. We move on to the Gentiles, who the Jews had had many years, hundreds of years of oppressions for their racial makeup. The Gentiles had developed deep anti-Semitic attitudes and action for them. And this is how the church began. And the most important theological question is why did the church begin in essence by having to deal with racial injustice? Because to much of the world, it was the impossible problem to solve. And by the Lord, this was awkward and a journey and there were passionate disagreements as this was going on. But by the Lord calling the church to do that essentially first, it allowed them to go forth and scream at the top of their lungs, look at our Jesus, he can do the impossible. And in fact, I like how the apostle Paul puts it in Galatians 3. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are are all one in Christ and what he's not saying is that for us to be colorblind which there's a nice sentiment in that but what he's saying is that the church is meant to be this beautiful bouquet or this landscape of beautiful individual colors that are even more beautiful when they come together and through that the glory of the Lord is going to shine. Mm -hmm. But that's the early church. But mm -hmm. I know that we've been talking, and you want to take this back, rightfully so, to even more the beginning of mankind. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that it strikes me is that, uh, like, when you look at the big picture story of the Bible, uh, the fall, sin has, in, has affected, impacted mm -hmm. everything, right? And one of the things that's impacted the most is our human relationship. Like you said, it's not mm. just the vertical relationship mm. with God, it's our horizontal. So what you see is sin breaks, it comes in the world, there's this breakdown of human relationship. And so in the New Testament, it says that when we come to Jesus, 
that we receive the gift of his spirit. And it's by, as we, we often talk about here at Rocky Peak, as we listen and follow the spirit, there's our path to transformation, to becoming the people they were created to be, and to building this new community of the king that comes from every tribe, every tongue, and so on. Um, and so, uh, so when the Bible talks about that, it talks about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Mm-hmm. So the flesh is our fallen human nature with this magnetic fall, a magnetic, magnetic pull to the dark side. And so when we think of the flesh, I think we often think of things like uh, sexual immorality. We think of things like, um, you know, maybe, you know, partying or drunkenness or whatever. And of course, those are part of the flesh, but they're only part of it, right? So for example, in uh, Galatians 5, Paul talks about, uh, hey, you've come to Jesus. You need to learn to to listen and follow the Holy Spirit. And so there on your note sheet, you have this verse from Galatians 5, where Paul is kind of helping us to understand this. So he says, uh, so I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, listen and follow the, the Holy Spirit. And catch this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, this fallen human nature. And then he says, so let me make it really clear, like what the flesh looks like, how you know when you're walking in the flesh. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he starts with some of our usual suspects, what we would expect, uh, sexual immorality impurity, debauchery, all right? And then he moves on to like religious flesh, like religious systems that are false systems that take us away from God. So he talks about idolatry. He talks about witchcraft, the occult. But then the next he moves on to relational issues. And he says uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions in envy. And, and what you'll see if you study history, uh, and this is something I do a lot, you know, I don't read a lot in history. What has just struck me over the years is that it doesn't matter where you travel, where you go, what time period, what culture, there is racism everywhere. And uh, here in the States, we often think of racism in terms of the United States, like it's a uniquely American problem, but it's not, it's a human problem. It comes out of the human heart that wants to divide and be better than in pride and you're not like me. Um, And so it doesn't really matter. I mean, you can can go to Western Europe and you can see the the Nazis against the Jews. You can go to Africa and the genocide in Rwanda and see the the Hutus versus the Tutsis. Uh, You can go to Asia and you can see the, the deep racial hostility. It's often been there between the Chinese and the Japanese. It's, it doesn't matter. This is part of our fallen human nature. And so if we're going to listen and follow Jesus, we need to stand against this because racism is just sort of a a larger version of this work of the flesh, of of hatred, dissension, division, and so on. So Paul goes on and he says, so, uh, but here's what, what life looks like when you're following the Holy Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit, what he produces, it's, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance or, or like patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. And so I think what we need to catch is just so foundational for understanding this is that, that racism goes to the heart of human nature. It's who we are apart from Jesus, this natural tendency to divide, to separate, uh, to, to fight, to hate. Um, and that if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to listen and follow the Spirit and come out of that, put to death the flesh, and, and follow him into this new future where we're living a life of love, 
Um, and so this, this issue of racism isn't like a sidebar issue of Christianity. It really goes to the heart of uh, Christianity because our, the top two commandments are love God, love people. And so if we're gonna be serious about following Jesus, then we have to uh, put to death this deeds of the flesh. So let's switch gears. Mm-hmm. I wish we had more time to talk about yeah. like biblical foundations. We could go on for a long time. But um, we wanna get practical mm-hmm. today. Uh, we realize this is a huge issue. We can't even begin to scratch the surface, but we live in very troubled times. As followers of Jesus, how do we pursue this kingdom of righteousness? Like I said, dikaiosune, justice. How do we pursue this kingdom of righteousness, this kingdom of reconciliation that's the heart of the gospel um, in practical ways? So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the Kingdom of Reconciliation First Steps. And today, we just wanna focus on kind of two really practical steps so we can begin moving towards this, whether it's in church or uh, as in culture. So Dwight, why don't you lead us off? Kind of like give us number one. Yeah, and really, and we're gonna be talking about this theme a little bit throughout the section, but when we talk about that the first step is listening, again, we need a bigger view of what that means. Because a question that often gets brought up is, well, what do we do as Christ followers? So give them the first step. I think the first step is listen and learn, right? Yeah, the first step is listen and learn. And before we can do that with anyone else, like you mentioned, the greatest commandment is love God and love people. We need to listen and we need to learn from God first. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that as Christ followers is that nothing is going to change when it comes to racism unless our hearts change first. And so we have been called, Rocky Peak, to be reconcilers, all of us that proclaim the name of Jesus, when it comes to this issue of racism. As Michael was saying, this is a primary spiritual issue. This isn't something that would be secondary or be nice if we got to. And specifically, we need to see that as Christians in the United States, all racism is abhorrent, but we specifically are dealing with the hurts decades, century-long hurts of deep racism against our black brothers and sisters. They are a community that is hurting and they are exhausted. And if you've been with us throughout our journey, this last series in the book of Acts, one of the uh, messages that Michael gave was about the new community of the church. And one of the key markers of the new community was they didn't wait to carry each other's burdens, that they were intentional. If they saw hurting, if they saw injustice, if they saw needs, then they carried. And often it was in the message that what you're experiencing may not be my story, it may not be my burden, but I will carry it with you. And that is what our call is as Christ followers to deal with this primary issue. And so Dr. Tony Evans, who is an incredible incredibly brilliant theologian, black voice, pastor for American Christianity. He said recently again that the nation can't change until individual hearts change first. And so the very first step when I say listen and learn is that each and every one of us, regardless of the beautiful color of the skin that God has given us, we need to go before Jesus and we need to hear our call to be reconcilers from him. And the reason I say that is, I can tell you that, but hearing it from Jesus is gonna have eternal significance. 
Hear from Jesus that he has called you. This is not a calling of shame or guilt. This is a calling of power to be filled with his Holy Spirit and to do what he did, which is to go and be a reconciler. Now, in that, as we learn, as we listen, we're also gonna learn what is the state of our heart. And I think if I'm honest, Michael, that is the scarier part. Because as someone who's has experienced racism in my unique story, there's anger in me. Mm -hmm. There's hurt and sadness in me. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that's afraid of letting that go. Mm -hmm. There are others that they feel anger for other reasons that maybe they think this is being weaponized, this topic of racism against them. There are many of us that one of the very last things we would want to do is go and pray about this because we might kind of angrily in a huff say, well, I know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. I know what the right thing is. I don't need to pray about it. They need to pray about it. And whether it's this issue or any other issue, if I'm honest with myself, it's the things I refuse to pray about that the Lord needs to transform my heart and transform the most mm. in my heart. Mm. Because wherever you're at on this journey, let the Lord search your heart so you can be angry for whatever reason before him. Angry because of the injustice you faced. Angry because you feel that people are weaponizing this idea of injustice against you or your profession. You could be sad, you can be vulnerable. You could be, hey, I really don't care. I don't know, I don't care, this doesn't affect me. You are never punished for being honest before the Lord, but we want to go and allow him to transform us. And I think in one specific beautiful way that there's many beautiful white brothers and sisters that in honesty have asked the question, well, what's the solution? Am I supposed to feel guilty for being white? And again, this is gonna carry more impact hearing it from the Lord, but the answer to that question is no. There are some that would want you to think that's the solution. There are some that in anger and hurt would say, yes, you should feel guilty, but guilt and shame is never the way that Jesus unleashes people to do good. In fact, Guilt and shame over the color of your skin is distorting the beauty with which God created you. But to acknowledge that racism is happening, even if it doesn't happen to you necessarily, does not make you a racist. But I think what's important about going before the Lord is that the enemy, the devil, sin, Satan, wants to distort things. He wants you, he wants us to live in shame because then we miss what that really is. Because often what the enemy is trying to tell us is shame is really the Holy Spirit giving us a beautiful, holy discontent. And often a holy discontent comes from the Spirit living inside the people of God to say not only is this not right, right, but the holy discontent is the God saying, and you have the power to do something about it. It is not meant to shame, it is meant to empower each and every one of us. And so the first step is to listen mm -hmm. and learn from the voice of Jesus mm -hmm. himself. And then Michael, you're gonna. Yeah, yeah, I think, I love this whole topic. Mm -hmm. you know, as, we, as we were uh, preparing for this, this whole topic of listening, the importance of listening, um, you know, I, I think in, like in my journey uh, that and I'm still very much it, you know. I just, Likewise. Yeah, I, I'm so thankful for my black brothers and sisters here at Rocky mm -hmm. Peak that have become friends of mine that have been so um, patient with me, just like helping me understand, you know, like 
hey, help me understand what it's like to be black. What, what's a normal day like? Like, how does that impact your life? Like, what's the level of pain that that causes on a normal thing? What's it like to come to Rocky Peak and be black? Tell me what you like, what you don't like. And it's just been so amazing uh, over the years to have these conversations that have been so helpful to me um, just to understand a different part of life that it's not my experience. And I think that's the point you said earlier that sometimes, you know, with the Yelp illustration, mm-hmm. you know, if, if everything you've experienced at a restaurant is great, it's easy to just say, well, someone else's doesn't count. You know, they must have just, you know, had a bad day. Um, but it's just so enriching to, as the body of Christ, listen to one another, to be able to bear each other's uh, burdens. Um, and this listening goes both ways. It's not just, uh, hey, white people listening to black people. It's black people listening to white people. It's, it's uh, Hispanic people listening to black people. It's law enforcement listening to black people. It's mm-hmm. black people listening to black I mean, we This is how we grow is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite stories here at Rocky Peak was, uh, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, that w- there were a couple uh, younger women in the church, uh, just younger than me, not uh, necessarily young, <laughs> But uh, they, they, and, and one of, the, uh, one of the, the women that has become close friends with, with Lynn and I, and, um, but they approached me after a message that I think I'd spoken and touched on this topic of racism. And they said, you know, we love Jesus uh, and we want to love people, um, but just based on our life experience, it's really hard for us to not be afraid of white policemen. It's just mm-hmm. been our experience. And we really want to move past that. Can you, can you help that? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, um, how about this? How about if I arrange a meeting, you can have an honest conversation with one of our white officers here at Rocky Peak. And like I, I shared before at the top, I mean, we are just incredibly blessed, right? My heart goes out to these men and women right now that are in the front line. They're often being vilified they're having bottles of urine thrown at them, they're being attacked in serious harm's way, and, and they just, they love God, they love people, right? And they're protecting all of us, right? So my, my heart goes out to them, and I just, we, we have such a beautiful community here of law enforcement. And uh, I've got to know many of them because they, they're actually, you know, like backstage, they'll be kind of our safety team, you know? Uh, after we come off stage, and they'll make sure we're safe, and. No one's coming back with a gun to shoot us because of something I said or whatever. Um, and so uh, it's been a beautiful thing to build these relationships. And, uh, and so I said, how about if I talk with one of these white officers um, and schedule a meeting? And uh, by the way, those of you who've been here at Rocky Peak a long time, this is not Dave Cox, who is you know, uh, reserved with LAPD, was on our staff forever, amazing guy. It's not Dave, it was someone else. And so they were very reticent at first to, to do this just because of fear. And it's interesting, they wrote to me after this experience, they, they, they met here uh, on campus uh, back in the time when we could. And <laughs> they met here on campus, they met you know, before a service, they thought this would be kind of a neutral ground. And, mm-hmm. and so these two, two black women and this one white officer, and uh, they wrote afterwards, this one woman wrote afterwards, and she shared how how nervous she was. She, she said to her other black friend before he came there, I was in the car when she, she sent this email to me and said, I, I was almost vomiting in the car. I was so nervous. And then she told me, TMI. But I'm so glad she shared that because it helped me to understand the visit. And this is an amazing 
woman. I mean, she's bright. She's sharp. She is um, articulate. She is, um, loves Jesus. And yet here she is sitting in a car at Rocky Peak, almost ready to vomit because of her fear. And what was so incredibly beautiful was they met with this officer. They had a long conversation. And he was just so honest with them. He was honest about things that are right, honest about things that are wrong. They talked about police training. They talked about, um, uh, they talked about philosophical issues on this topic. They shared experiences back and forth. And by the end, they were closing with their hands in prayer, um, praying together. Um, it was just this beautiful moment. And the thing was, it wasn't the end. I, I emailed uh, that, that friend this week, the, this black woman, and I, I said, hey, uh, I texted her actually, I texted her and I said, hey, um, I'd like to share your story again this weekend. Are you okay with that? And she said, this has become such a close friendship in my life. I consider him a brother from a different mother and I consider her a, a sister from a different mister. And it's just, that is the kingdom of God, right? It's the kingdom of reconciliation. And it comes by listening. And here in the church of Jesus, we have the best opportunity of anywhere in culture to have these kinds of honest conversations. We're in life groups, we, like, like I was, we, we have friendships, and we really need to be having these kinds of conversations, be pursuing friendships with different kinds of people, uh, different races, different careers. Different, we need to be having it. And when we build these friendships, we need that, to not just hang out, but there needs to be times where we have these conversations. How is life for you? Help me to understand from your perspective. Not that we'll always agree on everything, but this is where the kingdom of God begins. It's where we begin to listen and learn from one another. So let me ask you, Dre. Um, uh, our first point was listen and mm-hmm. learn. Uh, what's our second point? Well, second thing is peacemaking. Peacemaking, peace, okay. Like, like pursuing. Yeah, seek peace and pursue and it. Pursue it. And they have to go in that order. Mm. We can't seek a bigger peace without listening. Because mm. what I think, again, when we look at the call of Jesus' kingdom, listening is one of our most essential weapons. Mm. Theologically, as Christ followers, listening to the Lord is the most important thing we can do. But then when we love God, we learn to listen, to love other people. And what happens is when we listen, we begin to gain a bigger vision for reconciliation. Because often I think one thing that creates, that allows anger to root, is that we create these false dichotomies. Mm -hmm. And our culture creates it, I should say, that when it comes to this primary issue of racism, it basically goes, you can either be on one side or the other. And so what often happens is you either say that the lives of people of color, the lives of black people matter, or you're racist. Mm -hmm. You either say the lives of people, the lives of of, uh, people of color, the black lives, brown lives, people, the people of color, their lives matter, but you can't say that while also condemning violence and rooting as it goes in. That you can't say, hey, I support law enforcement without being a racist. Mm -hmm. You can't say, hey, there are systems, there are systemic issues 
in our nation, in our thing. And you can't say that there are issues that need to be dealt with without that being heard as, and I want to burn it all to the ground Mm -hmm. and start over. And one thing that's really important is, again, what did Jesus model? And Jesus modeled the contradictory to Mm. show that he was about something better. Mm. When you look at the life of Jesus, he specifically brought attention to, yes, as creator, all lives under him matter. But there are times in which there are certain lives that, for lack of a better term, are on fire. Mm. And Jesus highlighted them to say, we need to remember and we need to stand in. And so Jesus spoke for the poor. Jesus spoke for the widows. Jesus spoke to racial tensions like the Samaritans. Jesus taught this in parables that if you have a hundred sheep and 99 of them aren't in danger, but one of them is hurting, you go after them. He taught in the parable of the prodigal son that when one goes away, you celebrate when he comes back. Not to say that the one that stayed behind is not as valuable, Mm -hmm. but we need to celebrate when this happened. But not only did he highlight people that were marginalized and say their lives mattered, Jesus also showed radical love and grace and mercy to the system. Mm-hmm. that Jesus healed the sons, the family of Roman centurions. Mm-hmm. This was the oppressive pagan Roman government mm-hmm. and guaranteed that there had to be many Jewish followers that saw him do that and did not feel that Jesus was an advocate for them right now. Mm-hmm. But what is he doing? If we are going to change systems of injustice, it's not gonna happen by burning it to the ground. It's gonna happen by transforming a heart and mm-hmm. then sending that transformed heart mm-hmm. in there. Amen and changing it from the Mm -hmm. inside out. But he also modeled both. Mm -hmm. We are called to reconcile everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to listening, we need to listen to each other, but this is hard Mm -hmm. because these areas are passionate, they are triggered, they're tied to things that are deep, like hurts or long-held beliefs or politics. And so this goes back to the point I made earlier. We cannot listen well to other people, especially people we passionately disagree with or think are wrong, unless we're listening to the Lord first Mm -hmm. because he will give us the supernatural ability to do what I couldn't do under my own natural ability. Mm. And so what that means is that as reconcilers, our practical step is to listen to those voices that are different from ours, Mm. to listen to the voices of our black community, Mm. to listen to the voices of our colored community, to listen to the voices of our white community because we've experienced a lot of injustice as people of color, but we don't hold a monopoly on suffering Mm -hmm. as well. To listen to the voices of our individual or our families of law enforcement. And that's not always going to be easy. We need to be a people that are listening to somebody who would declare Black Lives Matter and listening to the voices of somebody that would say, hey, I find that offensive. And listening is not agreement. Mm -hmm. Listening is not always supposed to lead to agreement, but what it does is that it puts a human Mm -hmm. face Mm -hmm. to otherwise separate issues Mm -hmm. and it allows us to hear. And many times people hear, well, how could I possibly listen to someone who wants to bring harm, Mm -hmm. who doesn't want this, who doesn't want that? And to that, I will beautifully point you to a name so many people, more people need to know, and it's a name of of a gentleman named Daryl Davis. 
And Daryl Davis is a man who identifies as a Christ follower. Daryl Davis for almost 40 years has been a blues musician in the South. He's a wonderful black man. But he's also had a side hustle for the last 30 years Mm -hmm. is that Daryl Davis, and there's a wonderful TED talk in which he, he explains all this, has spent the last 30 years befriending members of the KKK. Mm. Not because he supports them in any way, shape, or form, but because he had a simple philosophy, how can someone hate me if they've never met me? And so what he's done is that he has sat with them and listened to them. Mm. And that has allowed him to speak to them as well. And in his 30 years, over 200 former KKK members have renounced Mm. that Mm. white supremacist viewpoint. Mm. And what was his weapon to peace? Mm. Listening. Mm. But I don't believe he could have done that Mm. if he had not had the equipping of Jesus to Mm. guide Mm. him and to go in. And so again, we're called to listen, but we can't unless we're listening to Jesus first. And that is what leads us to being peacemakers. Yeah, so good, so good. Yeah, I I think this kind of dualist thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, that's either one way or another, it's just, it's killing our country. Mm -hmm. Like we cannot have, uh, we cannot have just sane, rational discussion, you know, that um, if you don't agree with me, that I need to attack you with everything I can. Mm-hmm. And I think in the body of Christ, we, we need to model something differently, mm-hmm. you know. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this difference between primary issues and secondary mm-hmm. issues in terms of COVID and when do, when do you open up and different things. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, like even here at Rocky Peak, we have people all over uh, the board on these different issues. We We've had people this week saying, why don't you speak up more? We've had people saying, why are you speaking up at all? It's, you know, we, we come from different places, different life experiences. And um, it's so important, I think, that we, we understand this teaching of the Bible about, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago about primary and secondary issues. That primary issues are issues that we never compromise on. Um, who Jesus is, uh, the authority of Scripture, the core moral code of the New Testament, how, we, uh, how we're saved, all these, there's certainly, we never compromise, but these secondary issues are issues that um, Christians who love Jesus, love his word, disagree on. Um, they're not as clear, not as important. Um, and, and when you look at this whole issue of racism, I mean, racism, as we've seen today, it's a primary issue. It's an issue of the flesh, hatred, dissensions, factions. I mean, this is, this is like from the pit of hell, right? So this is, this is part of the core moral code of a Christ follower. But, but how we respond mm. to racism mm. and what we do to help build the kingdom of reconciliation and be salt and light in culture will really vary. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Apostle Paul was so clear that in these secondary areas, we need to accept one another, um, even if we think the other person is wrong. Uh, it's more important to love one another than to be right on every issue. We talked about that a lot, but let me give you a really practical example. Like here at Rocky Peak, I know that this week, I know that there were people from Rocky Peak that went and participated in some of these marches and protests that happened. I also, there are other people at Rocky Peak that would never, would never do something like that. They would never uh, participate. They would feel that was wrong. And if you were to ask each side, so why are you doing it? Like if you ask the person who is participating in the protest, you might say, how, how, how can you participate 
in a protest that, um, that's uh, maybe sponsored by an organization that as followers of Jesus we would have huge problems with. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're standing in line with someone who's holding a vile sign of hatred, say towards cops or something like that, um, and that may lead to even violence. Like how can you as a follower of Jesus? And, and they would say, well, I know there's all these other issues. I don't support everything this organization stands for, but I think this is such a moment in time where there's so much hurt and pain. I just want as a follower of Jesus to show that I love my black brothers and sisters. I love the community. I want to stand with them in their pain. I don't agree with that sign. Um, I don't agree with the organization sponsoring it. And I certainly don't uh, you know, agree with any violence that could happen. But I feel like this is what I need to do to stand with the kingdom of righteousness for this thing, right? So, and then you have the other person, why would you not, why would you not go to a, 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 a march or a protest like that? And they would say, well, listen, this is sponsored by an organization that, that uh, promotes the taking of life of babies. It's, it's, it's like a pro-choice organization. It's anti-nuclear family organization. It's new sexual ethic organization. And often these things have been very violent or violent language towards cops. And I don't want to be part of supporting that. And when you stop and look at it, both sides are really trying to honor Jesus and help build a kingdom of, of reconciliation, help move the ball down the field. And I'm not saying that both sides are right or both sides are wrong, but I'm just saying that we need as believers to give each other space that I may think you're wrong in the decision you made to march or not to march, um, but my calling is to love and accept you as my brother even if I think that what you're doing is not the best way to go about it. And the last thing we can do as followers of Jesus is to condemn one another and say, how can you, how can you march in that? You, you, you don't, uh, you, you, you're, you're dishonoring the Lord. You're, you know, or the other person will say, how can you not march? You're, you're, by your silence, you are dishonoring the name of Christ. And Romans 14 and 15 is so clear that it's not your, our job to judge a servant of another. That our job is on the primary things we hold together on the secondary to give each other the benefit of the doubt that we may disagree with the decision, we may think it's wrong, that's fine, but we're called to love and accept one another uh, on these things. And I think it's so important that the church of Jesus models this for the world. Because right now, our country is coming apart because we can't have civil dialogue. We can't learn from each other because we won't even listen to uh. each other. And so as followers of Jesus, and so uh, I think that one thing that I want to invite you to do uh, is Rocky Peak is, you know, uh, actually we're starting this new summer study that Tim announced that we're going to be writing. It's going to be starting next week, if not, not this week, but next week for the second message of this series. Um, and so, uh, but this week we don't have a summer study, and so I want to invite you to join us on a beautiful study. It's very brief. It's very easy. It's in the, the Version uh, Bible app that we recommend all the time or online, um, and it, it's a study. It's there on your note sheet under point number two, and it's called 
how to love people you disagree with. <laughs> and it's just a great little study, just short devotional, a few verses, really quality stuff on this very topic, right? So I think that if we're going to move the ball forward as a church, as that we need to learn to listen, like you said, to the Lord first, mm-hmm. listen to one another, um, that we need to be patient with one another, and then we really need to seek peace and pursue it. Um, and part of that is practicing this, hey, on the primary issues, we never compromise. On the secondary, we love one another, uh, even if we think the other is wrong. So Dre, I wanna, as we wrap this up, we're sort of out of time, mm-hmm. but as we wrap it up, uh, any final thoughts? I know there's some resources there that have been yeah, helpful to you. I think my final thought would be like what you were saying is that peace and unity and being the kingdom is not the absence of tension. Mm. We're going to feel tensions as we move towards each other, and they're not going to necessarily be solved, but it's something you've said so many times over the years. They're tensions that the Holy Spirit's going to teach us to manage mm-hmm. and manage well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to keep in mind because even as I use that example, well, how could I possibly listen to this person so opposed to me? And you've read that beautiful story of those two women feeling mm-hmm. so sick because of what this represented and now a new family Amen. being born. And I know firsthand that they don't agree on everything, mm-hmm, no. but they're a family mm-hmm. and that's what's beautiful about mm-hmm. it. And so Rocky Peak, above anything else, will you join me because my heart needs to be searched and go before the Lord for us to be, to listen to him together. Mm-hmm. And then just briefly, and I think this is gonna be there on your slides. I'm not sure if they made it to your notes, but there's two resources I would recommend. The first is a book called Letters to a Birmingham Jail. It's edited, it's a compilation of different um, Christian pastors, white pastors, Asian pastors, black pastors, it's edited by Pastor Brian Loritis. He's a black pastor up in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. And it's a beautiful response where the book begins with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous prison epistle, his letter from a Birmingham jail. And as these pastors, they're writing to the church in a sense of response to this, that this is our call to be reconcilers. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is that for many of us that have grown up in kind of white evangelical circles, we've never heard like a black pastor voice. Mm -hmm. And so I quoted a gentleman by the name of Dr. Tony Evans, and he's got a website that should be popping up called TonyEvans.com. And he graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary alongside one of my heroes, Dallas Willard. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is fantastic. And if you go to his website, there's many different free videos and different things, but just to hear a different perspective, but still pointing us all towards Jesus. It's beautiful, so. Amen. Oh, great. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to lead you in prayer. We're going to go into our time of worship, and they're going to kind of move the chairs out and so on. And so let's just go before the Lord and commit this to the Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you that as brothers in Christ, coming from a very different place uh, in our backgrounds, that you've brought us here to help lead this church into our future. And God, we just thank you. We thank you for the leadership you've given. We thank you for our elders. We thank you for our life group leaders. We thank you for this beautiful congregation that you're bringing together. And Father, today, our hearts just go out. We wanna pray for our black brothers and sisters. The last couple weeks have been so painful, and not just because of this one death, but because of of the kind of ripping of the Band-Aid off to something that they've dealt with their whole lives. And we just want to stand with them as our brothers and sisters of Christ. Say we love them. We pray you put your arms around them. We pray that they they would sense your presence in peace 
um, and that there would be a, a kingdom of reconciliation for them here. Father, we were focusing on our black brothers and sisters today, but the reality is, as I know from my life group this week, there's so many different people of color from different, uh, of a million different sorts that have, have tasted of racism in one sense or another, as Dre have. And God, we just, we just want to pray that you'd be ministering to all of us and, and pouring out your love on our church. And Father, we want to pray. I want to pray especially for my brothers and sisters who in law are in law enforcement. These men and women that we love, that we treasure. And God, in so many I've been praying for uh, this week, talking with their families out on the front lines, working killer hours, standing up trying to protect our neighborhoods and our world from blowing up. And yet all they're getting is hate, often a media that's it's against them resources taken away. God, our heart goes out to them. And Father, for our families here at Rocky Peak that, uh, that we just love and treasure, God, will you be with them? Father, this is a time of great fear. Their loved ones are going out into harm's way. And the only response they're getting is hatred often. And so, Father, we pray for the families. We pray for the children. We pray you'd encourage them. God, we pray that you would make us a church that can say multiple things at once, that we stand for the kingdom. We stand for social justice. We stand, we stand for racial justice. We stand against violence and destruction, and we stand for our law enforcement. But it's not one or the other. It is all of the above. And so, Father, we pray as we worship now, we pray that you would meet us as a church and those still separated physically. We pray that your arms would be around us spiritually. You'd be binding up wounds. You'd be healing our hearts. And you would build a kingdom of reconciliation. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.